Hello and welcome to the Queen Bee podcast where the stories of regional women come alive, resonate and inspire. I'm your host Tanya Rutherford and together with a passionate team of women we've painted this landscape for you. In truth this podcast is about gathering the stories of women who live in regional and remote Australia to bridge those gaps, to create communities and of course to tell the richness in their journeys. Now if anything does come up for you today, please be kind to yourself. You can share it with us, whether that's through our socials, our Queen Bee community, or you can send us a DM. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Queen Bee podcast. Joining us today is Kirsty Birchall, otherwise known as KB. She's a Cuckoo Yalanja woman from Mosman. So it's Google Yal- Google Yalanji. Okay, so I had got that wrong totally. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me today is Kirsty Birchall, otherwise known as KB, who is a Gugu Galanji woman from Mossman in far north Queensland. Yay! <laughs> She's a singer, songwriter, and works in roles that extend on the already existing capacity of her people. Kirsty has been singing from a very early age and performing since she was 14. Obviously a much better singer than me. <laughs> so that's good. This young queen is destined for greatness, either singing or being in front of the right people to make a change for her mob and more for her country. So welcome, Kirsty. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> and I guess to start with, Um, It would be great to hear a bit about your own journey. You know, what was your experience growing up? Oh, on the spot. Um, So family of six, four kids, two parents, um, three girls, one boy. Boy got lucky because he got mollycoddled by all the females in his family. Yep. Um, Grew up on music, grew up on um, country and culture. Um, yeah, I, I think looking back now as an adult, I was very blessed as a kid. Um, grew up in a small town, um, went to Mossman State Primary, very, um, so my parents say, very talented and smart child. <laughs> um, and I was picked to attend a, an elite boarding school in final, um, southeast Queensland, sorry, in Brisbane. Um, and it was on a, on the Higher Expectations program. So Noel Pearson and a few Cape York um, elders uh, identified that there was a crisis in our graduation rates, um, Indigenous graduation rates, and they, they needed to do something about it. So they band together and got some funding and um, developed this Higher Expectations program and sent, I think it was 30 of us in 2005, um, off to boarding school, a um, bit, bit of a trial run at that point um, from what I remember and I believe 18 of us from that initial program had graduated high school. I was the first of all my siblings and 64 first cousins to graduate under my family. Yeah, so it was a, it was a privilege um, and now Looking back at it, at the program itself, um, 
I, I literally had to Google the other day how many people have graduated off it, um, alumni and et cetera. It's 800 plus now, Indigenous kids. That and is awesome. Like just I had a moment where I was like goosebumpy and then teary because I'm like this wouldn't have happened if if Grenna Knoll and, and a few other people had gone, we need to help our mob. We need to get our education right. And there was a bit of resistance in community. You know, we like, again, teaching white man way. Um, what are you doing to our kids? You're going to take them away from community, take them away from culture. And, and our elders were like, no, we're going to create um, a space where our mob are learning in, you know, a way that's non-Indigenous to come back and support our communities, you know. Um, and now, like, pretty much all my mates that were on that scholarship, like doctors and lawyers and are in the United States right now doing human rights law and um, dentists and community associates and they're all doing something for their community. And, yeah, sometimes you have to go against the grain, you know, to make it work for your mob. And I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of that, that, that group, that alumni. And, um, yeah, it definitely supports my dreams currently. Um, and my nieces and nephews now, they're looking at me like, funny, Kirsty can do it, I can do it. And I'm just, I, that, that was what I wanted, you know. As a kid, you, especially from the town that I'm from, um, my parents were a bit strict on my dreams being music because they were like, you're too smart. You know, you've, you've got to focus on the education component because music is not going to get you anywhere in life. And that was the, the realistic sense that they had, but it wasn't mine. And I was like, I'm stubborn and I'm going to show you. Life, I'm going to show you I can do both. And I did. I have this great corporate career and I'm also following my dreams. And it's pretty rare to not be a broke musician so <laughs> which is so awesome that you yeah. bring those together yeah <laughs> so long story short um I I got I got the rough end and the lucky end of the stick I think <laughs> yeah so coming back to when you went down to to Brizzy because I'm assuming it was in Brizzy um how did you find that? So coming from small <clears throat> town, really connected to community and culture and then being in that environment? I was 12. It was terrifying. I had to get on a plane by myself. Um, I think there was 120 other boarders at that point in time. Um, I had to teach myself a lot of things in that period. Um, I had to have my friends teach me a lot of things. It was, it was terrifying um, and it wasn't the norm for me because when you grow up in community, the responsibility falls on your mum and your nana to teach you those things, you know, growing up. But, um, yeah, going away to boarding school, there was the only, I feel like that was only a minor disconnect for me though because I was very lucky to have the 12 years prior to that to connect to my country, connect to my community. And my nana taught me language. My aunties took me out in country. My mum did everything for me. Um, so I was definitely empowered by women way before I went to school. And then I went to an all-girls boarding school. So There's a lot of women. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of amazing women in my life. Um, my nana being the matriarch of the family and my mum being the best mum ever in the world. 
I don't think she's ever heard me say that. (laughs) (laughs) We won't say Um, anything. (laughs) But, yeah, they taught me, my mum taught me my stubbornness and I'm so thankful for that, so thankful for that part of me. Um, And, yeah, it it was terrifying, honestly. Terrifying but wouldn't change it for the world. Mm. I met I met my longtime chosen family, my friends, my best mate from boarding school literally lives 10 minutes down the road from me. Um, yeah, just, and it expanded my mindset and my world and community minds, we tend to limit ourselves, um, nine to five jobs, working to pay rent, working to die, really, you know. Um, Get caught in that daily as in, and don't see beyond that sometimes. Yeah, you really don't. And I do refer to myself as a unicorn. Like I'm super rare to have this mindset that's like I'm bigger than this. Like I want something more. And I feel like where I am right now, I'm finding that more, that part that I've been searching for for so long. And it just feels great to keep expanding on it and yeah so terrifying but I think if your foundations are set right especially for Indigenous females and Indigenous people your foundations your culture is tight then going away to come back is super important to be a little bit selfish to be selfless is so so important yeah and how did you find that coming back because how many years were you down in Brizzy? I was in Brizzy for five years. Yep. So um, different world and then coming back home. I, cra- I craved home. I yeah. craved country. I craved my family. Um, it was, yeah, I was like, going home, don't care about it. And mum was like, I, I actually got accepted into like six unis in Brisbane. Yep. And I was like, no, can't do it, mum. Can't do it, I'm sorry. And um, I went home and I took a year off. And I became an artist um, for Yellen G Arts or Yellen G Arts in Mossen Gorge. Spent three years there. Um, I wouldn't say anything I've done previous to what I do now is a waste of time because everything we do, right, is is a trajectory to what where we are now. <laughs> yep, builds on. Um, yeah, and then I stumbled into government. It was like artist to government. I'm like, what? <laughs> Where was the <laughs> in between? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was weird, but it was like it wasn't what I knew. It was who I knew, luckily, at the time. And then that opened my life up to what I've always known, and that is my um, my love for my people and my community and giving. I work for local government. Community, I studied community development. I knew that um, it was in my blood to give, to just give, to give back. Um, and I battled for a very long time community orientated caregiving work and music. Yeah. And there was the selfishness of doing music and not giving to community or doing the community-orientated stuff and, you know, not giving what fuels my soul um, attention. And it was hard 
I'd always go in my brain, you can't do one without the, without the other, you can't, like you just can't. It's either 50-50 or none at all, but it's kind of a balancing act. You find you give one 90, you give the other 10, 60, 40. It, it, it always changes, but you have to find your middle ground where you're at peace with yourself. And I finally did. I told myself, you actually can do both. They coexist. And also you chasing your dreams is giving back to your community too because being a minority, we as mob don't see that that future exists for us. Yeah. So, yeah, it took me about 13 years to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you found it. You know, some of us uh, took a lot longer. Three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I would imagine that through your music that you are able to really connect and you know grow your mob as well as yourself it's just that still it, honestly yes but also still a learning process mm. um it's it's a very vulnerable component of my life that i'm finding i'm struggling with a bit because vulnerability being in a in a you know a, a strong matriarchal family you have to be tough and letting your guard down you can't afford to and so, like, where I'm at, I'm like, my music is a window to my soul and I have to stand up in front of, you know, hundreds of people or thousands at some point to show them my heart and soul and my vulnerability and they have to judge that. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. So how do you protect yourself? How do you enable figuring, yourself to figuring in that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, I've, I guess it's. I can't be anybody else. Mm. I can't be anybody else. I can't show who I'm not to somebody. It doesn't do me justice in the end. And that is kind of how I justify my vulnerability in, in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, like I am the prob probably the sookiest I've ever been in my life. I cry every second day at anything. I'm like, I just watched a homeless man on YouTube and I'm rolling my eyes out. <laughs> but it's that sense of release and relief as well. So I'm super okay with it. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah. So instead of like being, why are you anxious? Why are you like such a person like you're allowed to be you've been through some stuff and show people that you just need a bit of support and love and that's okay it's okay to break yeah well not totally break no 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 not break down <laughs> let's not break no mental breakdown break. <laughs> yeah no it's it's okay to just hmm. be human yeah. <laughs> yeah to be real hey 100 percent. yeah so what would you say to a young girl from your hometown who's looking to go on a similar sort of journey? Chase your dreams, baby girl. <laughs> Do it and don't look back. Um, actually, no, I take that back. Do look back because I feel like it's so important to see your journey up until now. And my dad always has this saying in his teachings. He's like, in order to move forward, we have to look back. And I think that's so important. And I look at all my, um, and this, this is like so, so, so important to my journey right now is I look at all the no's I've gotten. And I'm so, I think I'm more thankful for them than I am the yeses in my life. 
especially with my music journey, because the no's have taught me to keep going and be redirected to what I was actually meant to do. And I think about if I got a yes at that point, I've actually, I actually wouldn't be where I am. And yeah, I, I, I'm valuing more than no's in my life at the moment. And I feel like that's so important. And yeah, chase your dreams. And if your parents say no, then be a little bit stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> also negotiate and compromise. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> bit of balance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't want to burn too many bridges there. Or do both. No. <laughs> I mean, just find your people. Find your people who support you. Um, yeah. And, you know, explore everything every opportunity and networking is so important and just be nice to anyone and everyone even the toilet cleaner to the ceo you don't know um the people you know the people you see on the way up could probably be the people you see on the way down so yeah <laughs> cool. so tell us a bit more about the community development work you're doing what's that sort of looking like for you I've, I've always been just someone in general who loves to see other people grow. I'm such a celebrator of people's lives. And if I see you struggling, I'm just like, what can I do? <laughs> like, like my dad, I love him. But thank you for teaching me this empathetic way of life because I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I watched that man feed a homeless man once and invited him to lunch with us, you know, like this man, he's like never walked past people when they're at their lowest, give him the last, you know, dollar in your pocket and the shirt off your back if you have to. Like that's been in, instilled in me since I was in the womb, really. <laughs> um, so just growing up, I've always wanted to see the best in others and build their capacity as well as mine because you can't can't teach without doing really or you can't, you know, you can't really show without actually doing it yourself. Um, and so, yeah, and close to home being Yalanji and seeing my people suffer with, you know, the stereo, I guess, stereotypical issues that Indigenous people face. Um alcohol, tobacco and drug use, um, health issues. It's just like how, what impact can I make on my community that if not, if, doesn't, if it doesn't see hundreds of people um, be enabled, let me just do one, one at a time, you know, mm. and, it, and in hopes to cause that ripple effect of if I can change one, hopefully they can change someone else's and it just, yeah, that continuous growth. Um, at one part of my career, I remember getting 60 people their licenses, 60 Indigenous family members of mine, which is really, it's a high number. And people don't realise how much freedom comes with that, you know, just being able to feel enabled, having a licence, yep. a driver's licence. You're allowed to go places and do more things. And um, I guess the gratitude that my mob had for me at that point, I was like, I will pay for you if I have to. I'll take you on driving lessons. Like, what do I have to do? You know, you can it's use my car. Right? It's not as straightforward as, as people think. Like, it is actually quite complicated. 
not for Indigenous communities. Mm. Did Like, we're working on this justice strategy at the moment with the First Nations office and the highest um, incarceration um, crime issue is licensing for Indigenous people. You would not think that. That is quite literally why our incarceration rates are high. There are other things, but it's petty crime. So, you know, driving unlicensed in a remote community, which comes with the fact that a lot of Indigenous people can't actually identify to the government norms. So they can't provide a birth certificate because they actually weren't born in a hospital. They can't provide identification because the Department of Public um, Transport and Main Roads is 600 to 1,000 kilometres away. Um, And so it's like people quite literally don't understand that such a minor issue to a westernised community is it's like the biggest reason for why my mob are in jail because then they come to the city and they're driving a car thinking it's normal and they get pulled over by the cops Mm. they've got all these outstanding warrants for fines that they didn't know about um yeah and then they're locked up for three years seems like a crazy reason to lock someone up too (laughs) like because they've got outstanding pieces of paper but 100 percent. yeah yeah it's honestly it is a system that is created to (laughs) fail us but we won't get into that one (laughs) (laughs) we could be here all week oh we could be here all year (laughs) we'll try and keep Um, it upbeat (laughs) yeah yeah but that that is why i do what i do to enable to enable my family because my mob are my family and Mm. it, it also teaches the kids that are in my life, my siblings, kids, my god kids, um, the community's kids, to know that if I can do it, they can. You know, I grew up the same way. I grew up in a remote community. I'm Aboriginal. Um, my family was on welfare for a very long period of time. We come from generational poverty and trauma. My grandparents lived on reserves and my father was on that reserve at some point. But they wanted better for us and they wanted to instill change those generations ago. And I want to be that also generational impact that my great-grandparents were. Yeah. So if I can do that now, I know that the next generation and the next generation are going to have, they're going to be out of the, the poverty-stricken um, state that my family is in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Which is which is so awesome. And I mean it, it's serious stuff, but it's it when you start seeing that ripple effect and you start mm. seeing the change in people's conversations and the way they look at things, it's huge. Yeah, I I, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm the result of what my great grandparents fought for and what my grandmother grandmothers grandfathers fought for and what my parents fought for and if they didn't try then I wouldn't have what I got so it's still my chance and opportunity to try to because we could still have better and better impact and better change and the fight's not over just yet so yeah again that's why I do what I do <laughs> yeah cool so Coming back to being in a regional, rural community, remote, what, what do we actually classify Mossman as? 
Weird. <laughs> weird. Okay. Weird. Weird uh, work. I think it's rural, regional. Yeah, regional rural. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, if we think it's, about it, it is a classification system that is put in place by government. What it actually means to each is probably quite different. Yeah. I mean, we're not that far off from Cairns, but we are remote enough to have less economical opportunities. Yep. Um, the education system exists there. Is it as good as, like, saying going to a boarding school in Brisbane? No. Um, I mean, Yarraba's classed as remote. Yarraba's 45 minutes the other way of Cairns. Mm. Um, but their education system is 10 years behind. Yeah. You know? So how much flexibility do we have to actually call a place remote i think more it's just disadvantaged yeah um, yeah so i would say we've got a lot more advantages in mossman but there are definite disadvantages there too especially for indigenous the indigenous community being mine and what do you think like something that's important for people to understand about being in like in a remote or, or regional rural community like what what are the things that people don't understand that they really need to we are not all the same mm. that is the honest top like everyone needs to understand not every indigenous person let alone community is the same yeah we all have those disadvantages and advantages um the further away you are from westernized communities the, the closer you are the culture the closer you are to westernized communities the further away you are from culture um but also being further away from those westernized communities you have your your the economy is crap you're so like Kawanyama, you're paying six dollars for a half rotten avocado um you look at all the vegetables and the the things that are nutrition have nutrition nutritional value they cost an arm and a leg, $80 for three pieces of steak. Like this is real life stuff. And that is because they are living in a remote community and these companies choose to take advantage of that. Mm. Because, and they're saying it's remote travel, you're, you're picking up for the cost of this. No, because it's all highway, it's all bitumen. There's only 250 kilometres that is dirt road. Mm. You are literally taking advantage of people who are already disadvantaged. And with the health rates, you know, diabetes and rheumatic heart fever, not you're not surprised. actually, you're not, you're not enabling our mob to get better. And then you go and look down the lolly and pack of the chip aisle, it's the same prices as it, as it is in Woolies and Mossman. And I'm like, make it make sense. <laughs> and realistically, I mean, if you... And I don't need to convert you to this, but there's no no reason why you wouldn't be able to build in those costs across the whole place. You know, a small increase in the city makes a big difference for the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is why community co controlled organisations are so important and pivotal yeah. to to supporting communities because they take control over what their needs are and the gaps. And they identify them and they do what they need to do. Yeah. And, you know, building community gardens and growing their own vegetables and, you know, supporting hunting and fishing, like all that stuff that brings in 
sustainable resources for our mobs. So, and that's so important. But yeah, going back to the question, we are not all the same, even indigenous communities, like Mossman is different to Wujal, Wujal is different to Cohen, Cohen's different to Cohen Yama. We all have different language groups. We all have different customary laws. Um, and also what's really important is to recognise the trauma that does come with colonisation. Yeah. Those, those effects, they still affect us. They affect me. And I'm a very advantaged Indigenous female. Yep. I, but they affect me. And I do have trauma because my parents had to live on that trauma, you know. Mm. People say it was so long ago. I'm like, my great-grandparents had to apply for licences because they were deemed good Aboriginals to marry each other and live on a reserve away from a, mis a mission. And then a cattle farm owner mowed that down when my dad was six. You know, like they're not things that don't affect us now and they didn't happen 200 years ago. They happened 50 to 40 years ago. They're still happening today. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you think about the fact that you can't get healthy food in community and that you don't have access to the, the services that you need and the opportunities, I mean, they're all ongoing contributing to that, that trauma and that yeah, inability to move and, yeah. and shift. Yeah. Yeah. I watched this um, documentary the other day and this, I think it was Udru Nunakul in on Stradbroke Island, very beautiful matriarch of that island. She said, um, you're not responsible for the past, but you are responsible for our future. And I was like, yes, hit the nail on the head. You are not. You don't have to be responsible for what happened to, like, the atrocities to our people. But you have to take responsibility for why we are still disadvantaged mm. and identify with us how we can go forward. Yeah. And, and create social, economical um, and beneficial impact to our mob. It's super important. It's all we want. I want you to walk with us. <laughs> We'll walk, we'll walk, we'll still walk. <laughs> we, want you, we want you to walk with us. <laughs> awesome. Um, so that's kind of all the questions that I have. But is there anything else you'd like to share, like perhaps some music that you're working on, some other Ooh. stuff? I am super, super stoked. I think I've found my sound and I have an absolute... I have two producers. They're absolutely amazing. Um, Jimmy Harwood and Eddie on the track. One does R&B. One does amazing, eclectic, um, like folky. He, yeah, he's he's a, just an all-rounder all kind of guy. Um, but they're honestly enabling me to feel my vulnerability and find the space in music where I fit. They're not pushy. They... Um, yeah, honestly, the last three months, I think I've found more of me and my music than I have in the last, what, how old am I? Oh, <laughs> in the last 16 years. Yeah, 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 16 years. So, um, 
I think I'm going to have a first release by the end of the year because I actually don't have anything out. Um, I've been more of a performer than I have um, laying a project out. Yep. And, yeah, so Jimmy and I are working on how we introduce KV to the world and I have this beautiful solid song and Jimmy loves it just as much as I do. You can hear him on the track. You can hear me on the track and we complement each other so well, which is very rare to find in music. Um, yeah, so yee, December or January, look out. <laughs> that sounds so exciting. Yeah, my family all get my tracks before they're mixed and mastered and they're like, no, change this or no, the lyrics, I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, my brother's like too provocative, don't like it. And I'm like, that's because you're my big brother. That's why you're saying that. <laughs> but, yeah, I made this very solid song, very depressing, but about Mossman and leaving and following your dreams. And, and it is honestly so soul-grabbing that um, I'm just like, can we just release it now? <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. That's so cool. I, I would get you to perform on the spot, but that's probably a bit unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I certainly look forward to hearing it when it comes out. Yeah, I cannot wait to show everyone. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for this community to expand. Yeah. How amazing is this? Um, and is this, this is remote, regional and rural communities? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, we're basically looking at, you know, all across Australia, the voices that don't often get heard, which is the ones that are outside the cities. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, there's just, there's so much commonality that we experience that we just, that we can still feel like we're on our own because we don't know where our folk are or, yeah. you know, like you say, finding, finding your people. Well, sometimes we can't find them face to face. We have to go online, uh, nah. which is the beauty of it. And if you're not already connected in these networks, you do feel isolated. So this is super important. Mm. Um, I've got a lot of beautiful female friends coming up here, down here. Some have already kind of made it in their own way. Um, one being a beautiful Google LNG artist, um, Kian. She is a force to be reckoned with. And I get to jump on stage with her on the 1st of December. So that's that's super cool. And I feel privileged because she, her music is just quality. Um, and, yeah, I definitely found my people. Definitely found my people down here. I feel, um, I feel very connected, which is so rare, so, so rare. I always crave home, always crave being with my family. And right now I'm not going to say I don't miss them because I miss my kids terribly, but I don't miss home, which is so weird for me to say. Yeah. My dreams, I'm chasing my dreams and it's so important. <laughs> so how old are your kids? I don't, I don't have kids. Um, oh, I in, our, said so in, kids. <laughs> in our culture. Oh, um, yes. My siblings. Kids, yeah, yeah, my siblings' kids would call me mum. Um, and just having been around being around them since they were born, I feel like I'm, I'm Mama KB. <laughs> That's so cute. So, 
yeah, I just call them my kids. Even my siblings are like, can you come pick your kids up? They're being naughty. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be there soon. (laughs) Um, So youngest is, oh, six, nine months. Nice. Nine months, almost 10 months. And oldest is 11, graduating high school. And, yeah, he's like, I'm going to be a football player. I'm going to chase my dreams. And I'm just like... And then the girl, the girl under him, she's seven. I'm like, what do you want to be when you're older? And she's like, I want to be a singer just like you. My heart melts when she says that because that means that I'm doing my job as an auntie right. (laughs) Yeah, she can see a path for herself. That is so awesome. She's literally like, that's it. And it is so nice to see my family now go, yeah, Baba, you can do it. Yeah. Honey, KB's doing it. You know, there's no, no, you can't do it. You have to do this. It's literally like, yeah, cool, whatever you want to be. Yeah. Like they're not facing those blockages or disadvantages that I did. But I've, yeah, definitely paving a way for them. And I'm like, you can do anything. Also, I know my bank account is going to get short because of it. Because <laughs> 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 it's going to be paid for everything because she doesn't have kids right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm happy to. I'm like, what do you need? <laughs> and that's just, you know, again, me wanting to provide and create impact for my yeah. kids, my family, my community. So whatever they need, I got them. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for today, Kirsty. It's been absolutely lovely. Thank you for having me. I feel honored as your first guest. My first. <laughs> <laughs> when you see me on billboards in LA you can be like I interviewed her I I, I've met her before you're the first and you hear that intro that's her I I knew her before she was famous (laughs) I love it so thank you we've been yarning today with Kirsty Birchall a proud Aboriginal from far north Queensland, woman, singer, songwriter, and also a corporate professional making a difference for her mom. She is a passionate advocate for empowering the next generation of First Nations people, and she's doing an awesome job. Kirsty is a shining light of determination, and we cannot wait until we hear her album coming out at the end of the year or start of next year. Whenever it is, we are waiting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You are most welcome. The Queen Bee podcast delves into the heart of regional women's experiences, their aspirations, challenges and journeys. It's a platform that celebrates their individuality, their resilience and their ambition. These tales of reinvention, adaptation, inspiration, and the power of connections.